Hello everyone, you're listening to the Brunson Bugle, the number one place to get your kayak fix in the podcast swells. I'm Lee Rooney. I'm Mike Booth. And I'm Adam Tiffin. After the disappointment of a late defeat at Portsmouth, United get their first home win to 30 September as Burton Albion are beaten at Brunton Park. We look back on the loss at Pompey and win over the Brewers before previewing the weekend trip south to face Cambridge United. I think it's fair to say, last week, if someone had told you a narrow defeat at Portsmouth followed by a comfortable in the end, I think, win over Burton, you'd have been probably quite happy with it, wouldn't you guys? But yeah. that, that defeat at Portsmouth just feels a bit of a... A sucker punch, doesn't it, in terms of the, the late goal and having played so well in that second half? Well, I feel like now it does and it doesn't, in that, mm. yeah, we did lose, but we can hold our heads high that we took possibly the best team in this league all the way and we matched them. And if anything, we're the better team for that second half. So uh, I think, obviously, it's gut-wrenching to get the defeat, but having got the win on Tuesday, you know, and bounced back from that, I think it's, it's, all, it's all fun, really. Yeah, I mean, Adam, would you would you look at it in the sense of the best thing about it is the fact that we didn't get too downhearted about that defeat and we followed it up with a good performance against Burton in midweek? Yeah, I think that was the problem that some people had with the Leighton Orient performances. We'd come off the back of the Bolton game where, you know, we looked so good and everyone was really up for it and then it was just a bit of a lull. So it was nice to actually see, um, you know, the performance levels go into that Portsmouth game, a big game, you know, a amazing ground and then followed up obviously on Tuesday night. So it was that's probably the one thing I think that people wanted to see most and that's what we got. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, uh before we get started with the news, uh I've got to tell you the sponsor use news as usual. Uh once again, this season, we are being sponsored by the Carlisle United Sports Club London Branch. Um, you can join London Branch wherever you live in the world. Uh, if you live in, as we always say, Jacksonville, Florida, if you live there, you can join up. If you live in, tell me a random place, Mike. Come on, you're usually good at this. Tahiti. Tahiti. Is that uh, influenced by um, Red Dead Redemption 2 by any chance? Maybe. <laughs> yes, brilliant game. Um, so yeah, if you live in Tahiti, you can join the Carlisle United Sports London Branch. You can join it if you live in Carlisle, if you live in Stanix, you know, if you live in... Upper Bay, you can you can join the Carlisle United Sports Club and Runners. They did a lot of really good fundraising for the club and also in terms of arranging tickets for away games for exiles and travel and things like that. And they recommend pubs to us as well. I'll actually have to get off at the start of the second half of the show and remind me. I need to tell you what the recommended pub is for Cambridge. Um, but yeah, if you want to find out more about them, go to their website, carlislelondonbranch.org, or just grab one of the guys at one of the away games who's selling at the bar. And I'm sure they'll be able to tell you a bit more information. There you go. Mike, have you got a question for us? Because I put you on the spot here, didn't I? Before the start of yeah, the show, I no, I, I, I haven't. Cambridge are one right. of them teams that we've played too many times in recent years for me to, yeah, to get, get something really. Okay, well, we'll leave it. Unfortunately, no question this week then, so we'll get straight into the news section. And uh, only a few little bits in here this week. Uh, first up, uh, the youth, well, both youth team related, actually, these two first bits. Um, and... What we've got is uh, United under-18s have been drawn at home to Barnsley in the first round of the FA Youth Cup. Uh, that will take place at Brunton Park next Tuesday, the 31st of October. Kick-off at 6pm. Always good, these games, though, aren't they, Adam? The, the, the youth team games of the FA Youth Cup. I think they've they've broadcast a few of them on YouTube in recent years as well. And it's just nice to see them in action because a lot of fans don't get to see these under-18s play, do they? Yeah, they're often 
not played sort of in and around Brunton Park as well. They're mm. often played, you know, under um, training pitches as well. So it's it's nice to see them for one for themselves to get on Brunton Park and get used to playing on those big uh, pitches, but also to be playing against a team like Barnes, even if it is just you know the youth teams. It's still mm. a, a decent decent club to be playing against for them personally. Yeah, it's one of those ones that when you, when you get in the FA Youth Cup first round, it's similar to the the actual FA Cup in that Barnes is probably one of the better teams we could have faced in the first round, exactly. which is sod's law, but just the way it works, isn't it? Um, the other bit of news uh, related to the youth team, uh, Josh O'Brien, he's joined Workington Reds on a work experience uh, youth deal. Um, it's what it's basically a youth loan, essentially, isn't it? But it's one of these ones that doesn't really have a time limit on it, does it, Mike? But I, I don't know too much about Josh, you know, because it's one of these things we don't get a lot of information on some of the youth team players. But from looking at the photos of him, he looks a big lad, doesn't he? I think it's fair to say. Yeah, and I think Danny Granger's helped around our youth team a little yes, bit, yes, hasn't he? Yeah. So he'll, he'll sort of have seen something about him. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it'll beef him up a bit, playing against uh, plasterers and uh, landscape gardeners. <laughs> yeah, kind of well, thing, I know yeah. from that. I know from that league, the, from working at Marine last year, it's it's a very physical standard and you get a lot of players coming in from teams like Carlisle on these loans and it does sort them out quite quickly in terms of yeah. who you think is going to be able to caper that physical level, as you said, Mike. So mm. I think it'll be a good loan for him. I, I think he actually came off the bench on Tuesday night um, mm. against Mask, uh, which is good for him to get his first debut so quickly. Yeah, and it, first it's, debut. Well, yeah, his first appearance. Yeah, it, it's. I think he's a second year YTS, isn't he? So the fact that we're setting him out on a youth loan this early to, to a decent standard at working time. I mean, you look last season with the greatest respect to Dan Healy, went to Cleeton or Celtic, and at that point you kind of think, okay, is he likely to get a deal? Probably not. Whereas sending um, O'Brien to Workington, like you said, Nugent to Workington last season, it shows that maybe he's one they're mm. looking at already and thinking, okay, let's yeah. see if this lad's capable of getting a pro deal come the end of the season. I think that's and the, obviously uh, Workington, yeah. Workington in the league below last year as well, so yeah. that speaks even even more highly to the how highly they think of O'Brien sending him to to that level when Kai, yeah. obviously you know geographically it makes sense to send yeah. youth team players to Workington, but. Um, hope he does well. Yeah, definitely. Um, one other little bit. Uh, you, you spotted this one, Adam, didn't you, um, in terms of the game at Tuesday night? In fact, we did spot this, actually, didn't we, there were on, on Tuesday night as well, Mike? Um, there was a, sort of a large group uh, related to the EDI work that the club are doing that were attended the game, and they seemed to really enjoy it, didn't they? Yeah, well, uh, I think there was over 100 of them in mm. the, well, at least where I was in the Andrew Jenkins stand. There was a lot uh, in and around me, and they're all in the, I saw a lot of them in old, sort of, not quite retro, but sort of early <laughs> 2000s uh, Carly United kits. And I think some of them were at the, the hilltop of, uh, they've got their own football team now, which is great for them. And yeah. it's good for them, one, to be at a game where we actually did well, mm. um, but just to get them in, in and involved in the club, and hopefully, you know, they'll be, coming back on, on their own accord. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the kind of thing that you, that you want from these things. Is, you know, you, you want to make them welcoming as part of the community, but also you want to get them sort of hooked onto the club, like anyone really. You know, it's, just, it's the same with the, the club. do a lot of really good work, I have to say, in terms of getting schools down for games as well. The Tuesday night games are a bit more difficult because obviously the kids need to be... Uh, chaperones the wrong way. You know, they need, they need people, like a certain number of adults there with them when they're attending the game. So you can't really do a Tuesday night game because it's a bit late for them. So it makes more sense to do stuff like this, you know, for those games as well. So, yeah, I think the club do a lot of good community work. And I think in terms of what's going to happen going forward, the Piatics as well, hopefully that'll go even further. So, yeah, re- really, really good to see. Right. 
let's uh, look back on the last two fixtures then. We'll start off with Portsmouth away. So Portsmouth won. Cal United nil. We sort of briefly touched on it there in the introductions. Um, yeah, a game of two halves from what I can gather from people who were there. We'll hear from uh, Johnny Atwood, one of our friends of the pod, um, with his six-second review in a little bit. I think he says something along those lines. But a lot of real positives to take from this one, Mike, wasn't there? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think realistically, I mean, I know my prediction was a win because that would have just been peak Carlisle United. But I think people would have taken a draw at the very, very, like, would have been absolutely chuffed to bits with a draw. Um, And we nearly got one. And it's just a bit of a sucker punch. But like I said before, knowing that we've taken one of the best teams in the league all the way and that knowing that we've bounced back from that and it didn't, knock our spirits too much I think it all in all it's it's relatively positive as far as defeats go yeah I think I think it's one item is it where you, you look back and you you just got to take the positives from it. you can't get too downhearted by the fact that you know you did concede that late goal yeah exactly obviously if you remove context and just say we lost to Portsmouth I'm sure most fans will go well that's probably expected but actually when you add the context it gets better because we were you know competitive for you know a decent amount of the game and had opportunities to score and obviously we were a little bit fortunate that Colby Bishop wasn't quite on form that day so things could have been uh, not so close but yeah you've got those types of games where you're not expected to win and you come so close to getting something and you don't you can't beat yourself up over it you've got to take the positives because you weren't expected to get anything and you almost did yeah, absolutely. You've, you've got to focus on the positive, definitely, after the game. And I think Simo pretty much did in his post-match interview, wasn't he? He wasn't too downhearted. You know, sometimes some recent games where he sort of, you know, James Phillips or someone in, in post-match interview said, you know, I think we've played quite well in that one. He's like, well, have we really? We haven't got the result, you know, you, like stuff like the table doesn't lie. He doesn't like that phrase, does he, Simo, I don't think. But he was generally positive after this one. Um, team lineups not really massive surprise, the fact that... Um, there was uh, no change to the starting eleven. Butterfield coming on, uh, sorry, Butterfield Butterworth coming onto the bench. <laughs> I made that mistake you made, Mike, the other week. Yeah, uh, Butterworth came onto the bench in place of Whelan for this one. Um, yeah, in, in terms of other chances, as you mentioned, their first half it was mostly uh, Portsmouth, and as you said, there, Adam Colby Bishop probably could have had a hat trick actually first half with some of the probably the best chances that they had, didn't he? I think there's one chance for Robertson from range that Holy sort of stung his palms and he saved it a second time, but there was two or three really good close-range chances, particularly that one that went across the six-yard box, wasn't there, Adam, that he really should be burying? Yeah, watching back the highlights, he had his head buried underneath his shirt after that one because he just could not believe. And, you know, I was listening to it on the, the radio and the reaction of Jabbo and uh, James Phillips just seemed like the roar of Fratton Park was going to be coming any any second, but yeah, looking back on the highlights, I'm not sure how he's. It looks like he's barely even made contact with it, which for someone in so much space in his form was just amazing. Obviously, brilliant for Carlisle, but yeah, a real scare. I, I do wonder if it was Hurley's presence maybe that put him off a little bit there because he, he sort of made himself big, didn't he, Hurley? And I know it wasn't right up against. It's hard him, not to for someone his size. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah, I should say. Yeah, you mentioned Jabbo there. The curse of Jabbo continues, doesn't it? I still don't oh. think he's actually commentated on a Carlisle win. No, well, that's what um, I think James Phillips said that <laughs> after the final yeah. whistle or just after the goal's gone in. Yeah. Mentioned Jabbo, bless him. Yeah, 
Yeah, poor bugger. Um, we love Jabber on this show anyway, but there you go. Um, United did have a good chance first half, though, with uh, Alfie McCallman, didn't they, Mike? There was a ball played across the uh, box by Armour, found McCallman at the far post, and he sort of hit the shot into the ground, didn't he? He bounced up, and, and the defender just got into a really good place on the line to block it. Yeah, um, and obviously McCallman had another very good chance late on. Mm. Um, and... You know, like you sort of said before, it's good to look back knowing, well, do you know what? We created good chances if we'd have put this away. If if this had gone that side of the post or whatever, it's good to be thinking that. Whereas we had other games, maybe earlier in the season, where we weren't creating good chances and we're losing games and it was a little bit bleaker. But now, if you're losing games and you're creating some chances, it's it's a little bit more positive. Yeah, you mentioned that Alvin McCallum chance. It actually came just at the start of the second half. It was literally from the kickoff almost. And oh, I'm thinking of the uh, the other one. Butter- oh, you're thinking of Butterworth. Butterworth yes, yeah. will top out that in a minute. But Adam, that chance for McCallum, should he be burying that? I think he's done as well as he can there to dig the shots out, really. He sort of trickled onto the post, didn't it? Well, it's his touch that doesn't help him because mm. he can't get he can't get into the position to actually be able to hit the ball properly. That's why he sort of trickled it to that uh, far post. But yeah, I think his his first touch wasn't brilliant for that, and I think I suppose we'll come on to the Burton game later. But you see the difference in having someone like Butterworth, who's a bit more sort yeah. of technical going forward. Because I think if he was in that situation, he probably would have done a lot better with it. Um, but yeah, that's a chance you've got to at least be putting on target. I know it was close, just past mm-hmm. the post, but you'd expect someone to hit the target from that angle and that space. Yeah, as you mentioned there, Mike Butterworth. He had that chance late on, didn't he? It's a, it's a, you know what? Part of me was originally when I saw it, I was like, oh, is that as good a save as James made out to be on the radio? But actually, I do think it is, because he yeah. does not have much time to react, does he, uh, Norris, to get down and make the save? And it's really well struck by Butterworth too. Yeah, exactly. And Ciro said, well, actually on Tuesday night, that Butterworth in training, he's like a very, very good finisher. Mm. Um, and that's like one of his main strengths. So... I think he did all he could with the effort. I don't think there's a lot more he could do. Uh, I think it was just a brilliant save. Yeah, it's just really, really good goalkeeping. And then and then the sucker punch came, didn't it, Adam, right at the end? Uh, shock Nessie, I should say. I, I thought it was Sean Nessie. I was convinced it was, but James Phillips did say in the commentary that apparently his family had contacted Radio Derby years ago and he was at Burton saying, no, it's Shock Nessie, apparently. <laughs> so Shock Nessie... Uh, a real shocker for Carlisle, really, wasn't it? Right at the end there. Um, Sparks is corner from the right, and it's the one time one of their players really got away in a set piece, wasn't it? And he just got, gets above armour, and not much we could have done, really. And then, was there? Yeah. Is it the uh, uh, the name of the new... Is it the Carlisle Social that's yes. on, out yes. on BBC? So they were talking yes. about... Uh, James Phillips was talking about the sort of brilliance of the awareness of the Portsmouth players to run sort of a schemed mm. set piece at that time of the game considering yeah. the sort of lack of um, chances or being able to put away the chances they'd created and that frustration that came from it you know being able to have that clear head and run something like that was impressive because I think Simo talked about Armour getting a bit of a block and then that's what allowed Shock Nessie to get the header off but it's just one of those ones you see the reactions of the players that all just can't believe it Putting all that effort to get something that late on, seemingly just a free header, it's just, just deflating. It, it, it's a fair point, that isn't it, Mike? In terms of the 
being able to be so focused on a set piece that late on and, and actually do a proper routine because you sometimes find those late set, late set pieces, they're just chaos, aren't they? It's just, I'll just yeah. bundle the ball in and see what can happen. But they that that's the difference of a top of the table team, isn't it? And, you know, they haven't played that well, but they've been switched on enough in that one situation to get the winner. Yeah, and to be honest, that was us last season. We were doing that. Mm-hmm. Remember uh, Ryan Edmondson at Swindon? Yes. Um, you know, and this season we just seem to be weaker at defending set pieces and weaker at attacking set pieces, which is a little bit of a concern for me. Mm, obviously, we lost Paul Gerrard, who was uh, responsible for a lot in terms mm. of planning the set pieces, so maybe something for Dave Timmins to work on in training, possibly. I mean, I'm sure they are working on it, to be fair, and we'll have to see how it goes, but... Uh, but yeah, so that, that's that's where it was with that. So we'll get to some of the talking points in a sec, but what I'll do, I'll play the six-second review from Johnny, because Johnny went down for the weekend, he's a good friend of ours, um, and here's what his thoughts were on Portsmouth away. So Portsmouth on Saturday, um, I think it was a game of two halves again, to be honest. We've seen it a couple of times this season, uh, Wigan-Peterborough standout. First half, Portsmouth were the better team, weren't they? I think they'll have been disappointed to go in at nil-nil. We had that one McCallum chance, but overall... Yeah, we did well to go in at nil-nil. Second half, I don't know what Simo said at half-time, but we looked fantastic. Obviously, we had the early McCallum chance that came off the post. Bit of a poor touch, wasn't it? Never got it out his feet. But, yeah, the Butterworth shot late on. Great save from the goalkeeper. We were right behind the goal, and that looked in all the way. But, yeah, for them to go up and score in injury time there for the three points, it was harsh. I thought we deserved at least a point, if not three, out of the game. But... We just need to take that performance into Burton now, don't we? And hopefully get three points. And then Cambridge on Saturday as well. Both winnable games that we should be aiming for. Um, Portsmouth, decent away. We spoke to a few of the Portsmouth fans after. They were all sound. Said that we deserved way more out of the game. And yeah, nice place, Portsmouth. I've seen mentioned about the sausage rolls. The sausage rolls were phenomenal. I did have a chicken balty pie in the first half, though, and that was awful. So stick to the sausage rolls. Yeah. On to Burton, and then looking forward to Cambridge on Saturday. I'm not going to let it slip next time I see him about taking the mickey out of the fact that he had both a pie and a sausage roll. Okay, <laughs> what a pig. Um, fair assessment there, I think. You know, and It's a good point about all the Porto fans have been full of praise for us after the game, and another fantastic away following, wasn't it, Adam? Into nearly 700 going all the way down to Portsmouth for a, for a game like that, when we've got a real run of away games coming up as well. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, this run of fixtures, especially with the cup draw against Leighton Orient, in terms of distance travel, is absolutely horrendous. And I know Tim always mm-hmm. says, you know, we're never going to be able to change where Carlisle is, you know, in terms of these long journeys. Yeah. But it's just incredible that we have the fans that we have who are willing to make those journeys. Um, and obviously the massive Portsmouth supporters club that we have as well that make up a lot <laughs> of the yeah. make up a lot of the fans. Um, but no, on a serious note, absolutely brilliant support. Um, we're getting those consistent numbers every week. I think there's 500 odds going to Cambridge as well. So, yeah, yeah. you can't say any more than that, really. But yeah. it's not just the numbers as well. The fans have been loud and have been really mm. getting behind the team every game, which I think is massive as well. Yeah, you could definitely hear that in the commentary for this one. You could, from start mm. to finish, you know, constant noise. Second half especially was really, really impressive. Mike, do you feel like a performance like this shows that the players are starting to sort of get to grips with the division I mean when you look at the last if you go back to well this month basically the games we played take out the late in our game which was just a bit of a damp squib really in the end all the games we've looked quite competitive haven't we we look like we really have got a grip of this is how you have to play in this division don't we 
Yeah, I think so. And I think as well when we maybe weren't doing that well and we had Gibson basically getting goals that were just a testament to, well, if you don't have a go, you won't score. And I think other players have kind of taken note of that and gone, all right, well, I'm going to have a go and I'm going to try and do this. And if it doesn't come off, it doesn't come off. But I've been noticing a bit more of that from, from a few players. And considering, you know, we are 20th in the table, the players are relatively confident and they're playing with a little bit of freedom as well, now more so than they were a few weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. You can definitely see that. And Adam, it was quite encouraging to see a good um, performance from Butterworth coming off the bench in this game, obviously, which led into the Burton game, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, you know, he's a testament of, you know, Simo's been quite critical of the reserves and all the fringe players in recent weeks. And Butterworth took his chance in that reserve game. And, it, and it, it's a prime example for the rest of them, isn't it? Take your chance of these games, you'll get an opportunity. Yeah, there's only really been him and Robinson who have sort of received quite public uh, praise from yeah. Simo from that sort of group of players. Um, but it was good one to see him because we need options in that midfield because it is mm. very thin, especially with the bookings and, and things like that. There's likely to be someone missing at some point. So just to have that option is is good and to know he can play in that sort of more central midfield role rather than having to play maybe on the wings uh, or something like that. But it was definitely good to get him some decent minutes and he's shown that he's got something about him um, and that's what you need to do in those situations. Absolutely. And just before I do a little round-up of the League One uh, results from the weekend, um, it was nice to get a bit of praise from an opposition manager as well, wasn't it really, uh, Mike, in terms of John Massinho, uh after the game, basically said that they'd got lucky and we probably deserve something out of the game. And he particularly praised his uh, former Preston teammate, uh, Joe Garner, didn't he, for his performance and how he did up front. Yeah, I, th- and I, th- I think that's refreshing from uh, mm. opposition managers. Um, but not just the managers. I mean, the Portsmouth fans as well, they all sort of seem to say, well, not only were our fans excellent, but the, the team was excellent. And mm. I, I, I don't... I, I mean, I go out looking for people rubbing our noses in certain <laughs> results on Twitter, and I couldn't find any of it. All our fans were very complimentary, and yeah, it was very good to see. You had to put your John Mellish gif away for one week, <laughs> yeah. that you'd like to get out for these games. Right, a quick rundown of the uh, League One results from the weekend. Uh, Bolton won 2-1 at home against Northampton, who were finding things a little bit tough at the moment, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Burton Albion <coughs> beat Bristol Rovers 4-1, which... Looks an astonishing result based on the performance they put up against us in midweek. Mm. I, I can't imagine how bad Bristol Rovers were, which has seemingly led to the sacking of uh, Joey Barton earlier today, hasn't it? That's, that's yeah. news that's just emerged. Uh, Charlton got a 4-0 win over Reading. And Reading's form's ridiculous, isn't it? They're in the league, I think they have, they've barely scored and lost the last six or something. But then in the trophy, the last two games, they've got an aggregate score of 14-0. Which mm. is <laughs> just... just Stupid, really, isn't it? Uh, Cheltenham got their first win. A 1-0 win over our opponents this weekend, Cambridge United. Not a great result for Cambridge, that. Exeter nil, Wigan 2. Have you seen the stats for this game, Mike? No. I, I showed them. It's outrageous. I think Wigan had something like three shots and two of them were on target. And Exeter had something like 25 shots or something. <laughs> and like 75% possession or something. It was it was ridiculous. They totally dominated. And all the Wigan fans I saw online said, like, yeah, proper smashing grub. Did not deserve a thing from that game. But I, I've said all along, you know, I, I'm into all of these stats and expected goals and all that. But the only stat that matters is goals at the end of the day. Yeah. Final scores, the only one that really matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fleetwood nil, Lincoln won. Uh, good result for their 
caretaker boss there. Uh, Leighton Orient, 1-1 against Barnsley. Oxford got a 1-1 draw with Blackpool. Peterborough, 2-2 against Wickham. Uh, Shrewsby got a 1-0 win over Derby. Did you see the penalty decision in this game, Adam? It was Yes, I did. Absolutely incredible. They missed the penalty, I should say, but yeah. still. Outrageous, wasn't it? I think he must have took a good two, three steps before, <laughs> yeah. at least from the camera angle, before actually going down. So he got past the Derby defender, I don't know which one it was, into the box, and <laughs> there's absolutely no one around him. I don't know, I don't think you can see where the referee was yeah. from the video that was going around. Uh, one other thing from that game was Conor Hurahan was getting, well, went over to the fans at the end to basically say, you know, look, we're trying our best here, we're not. Yeah. You know, putting in dud performances just because we want to, um, but the fans are having a right good go at him and yeah. saying that the football they're playing is awful. I mean, they weren't particularly good against us, even though they won. But mm. yeah, things are a bit turbulent at Derby. Yeah, it's not not the easiest uh, place there really at the moment. So, so there you go. Right, let's move on then to uh, happy again to talk about Kynite two Burton Albion. One, Mike, we drove up to this one, didn't we? We came up for yep. the midweek game, which we don't often get a chance to do because you don't really get the opportunity to come to a midweek games. And uh, very enjoyable, wasn't it? I think it was your first midweek since the Barrow game, wasn't it? The 5-1. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, well, on the way up, you know, we made the mutual decision of going to the chippy van for dinner. And you said, yeah, that's a really good idea that. Yeah, because it won't be that busy. It was busy. It was very busy. And then you were like, oh, well, you know, they should have had two chippy vans on. They should have seen this coming. Well, you didn't see this coming. So. No, no, <laughs> I didn't. I'll admit that. But no, it like, you know, going to the ground early, there's a bit of a... A, a low-key kind of Christmas market-type buzz around mm. pre-match. You know, everyone's sort of drinking the beers out of these plastic cups before the game, and it's, it's and the atmosphere building up. It's it's the place to be, and uh, it's it's good that the atmosphere sort of builds up a couple of hours before kickoff, and then when it gets going, you know, the atmosphere's in full flow. It hasn't really been like that for Tuesday night games, Adam, has it, for, for a number of years, and... To get a crowd of over 6,000, with over 6,000 home fans, I should say, as well, on a Tuesday night with Champions League football on, it, it shows that the people are really back in the club right now, aren't they? Yeah, and especially after the, obviously I know we're the Bolton results somewhat recently, mm. but two disappointing for, well, for very different reasons, uh, two disappointing results um, in back-to-back weeks. So after that, to get you know the support they're getting on a, on a Tuesday night, as you said, and scores are, uh, are back in, so, you know, People may be less inclined to come because of the times that the games are at, but it's like it's a testament to this fan base. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, there was two additional fans there in the fan zone, wasn't the mic that we saw there? Piatics, yeah, next to the chippy van, having a good chat with a lot of the fans around there, weren't they? It was really nice to see. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, wearing one of uh, Rob Morley's um, Simo pin badges. If anyone hasn't got one of them, do get one. They're really fantastic. I've, I don't know if they're still on sale. Actually, you might have sold out of them. I'm not sure, but. Uh, well, well worth checking out his website anyway. I'd 100% recommend that. Um, well, let's talk about the game then. Uh, lineup-wise, we, there was kind of a feeling that Alfie might miss out because he'd gone off injured, hadn't he, in the game against Portsmouth. And uh, the decision taken was to bring in Dan Butterworth. Um, I mean, he could have brought another striker in and gone 4-4-2 potentially, but um, Simo decided to go with that 4-2-3-1. Is that what you expected, Adam? Um, yeah, I don't... Especially after the Portsmouth game, I thought... He's sort of settled a little bit on this four-back now. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned in the last podcast, I thought they might go to a five-back against 
Portsmouth with Ben Barkley being uh, back in, involved in the squad. Obviously, he did get a run out eventually against Burton. But I thought he would continue with that after doing the same against, uh, against Portsmouth. And to be honest, I was quite happy to see Butterworth because of the performances he'd had of late, even though mm. obviously Portsmouth was a bit more of a cameo and the game before that was just a reserve game. But it's another opportunity and he's took it well, as we'll get on to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first half, Mike. Uh, we were the better side, but probably Burton had their better chances the second half, I think it's fair to say. First half, sorry, I should say. Um, and early on, there was a chance for Carriol that was fairly comfortably saved by uh, Holy. Um, and then Maguire had a really good chance, didn't he, with a cross to the far post and... It's one of those ones, I think he's got to do a bit better with it, but at the same time, it's not the easiest chance in the world, is it? Yeah, I mean, watching back, it was a fantastic ball in from Finn mm. back uh, on that right-hand side, and he almost kind of didn't anticipate it, and then he realised where the ball was going and then anticipated, but I think these attacking players, they're only going to get more used to playing with each other and more and better at anticipating these sorts of things. Um but yeah, um, first half we just made one little mistake in midfield, didn't we? And we're punished for it. It's and I I did half think at half time that was this going to be another of those games because we've we've had a few of them this season. Yeah, we have. I mean, Adam Ewes have had a great view of that thing back cross from the from the east stand side as well. He he just looked like he just he clipped into that perfect area, didn't he? Beyond the fence. Well, I thought what had happened was actually what ended up happening with the Gibson goal where he'd headed mm. it and then the keeper. Had pushed it into the into the net instead of making yeah. the save, obviously from the angle. Um, whilst we're on Finn back, um, I don't know if I hope you both of you uh, are aware of the the player ratings that I put out sort mm. of every, after every game. If anyone's listening, check out my Twitter. You can give your player ratings on each player after every game, um, and I gave. Finn back a six and a half out of ten, which seems to be getting a bit of backlash for being a bit harsh. I thought he was. I thought he was good, but I just didn't think he was really influential. Uh, but I just wanted to get your, you two, your two opinions on it because uh, some people seem to think he was one of the best players on the pitch. I think I probably agree with other people. I, I, maybe not one of the best on the pitch. I, I thought he had probably one of his better games since he's come back. Interestingly, on the Carlisle social, that was what the the joint agreement for man of the match for that game was. I didn't give it to to him. I actually gave it to John Mellish. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Um, but yeah, I thought. I thought what he did really well was set the tone with a few of his tackles, especially in mm. the uh, in in the second half as well. Actually, the way he sort of lifted us and the way he sort of charged into a few of them. Um, but yeah, I, I can sort of see what he mean. I think he's starting to get there a bit more in terms of putting the ball in the box because that's been the the thing that's frustrated me about him this mm. season is that far too often he gets into good positions to put a ball in and he's like, "No, I'm going to pass it back to Gibson or to Maguire or someone," and he's kind of like just have a go yourself you did it last season you start to see that a little bit more now and I think it's confidence building up I don't know what you think on it Mike yeah I think well I think on Tuesday night we saw him get forward more than we've seen him get forward when he's been playing at wing back in some mm. other games um, which was really good to see and yeah I think you touched on his tackling there was one in the first half that was brilliant where he almost sort of tackled and passed it at the same time where he sort of knew, I think, that if he positioned his body in such a way with a slide tackle, that it would ricochet off him. And I think it was Maguire was away down the right, which was, uh, that was really good. But I think he had a good game. And w- with player ratings, I'm a little bit uh, bitter personally because I, in high school, I was a goalkeeper. And in GCSEPE, you get like rated and assessed 
on a game. I kept a clean sheet. I didn't really get tested much, but I kept a clean sheet. And I got 7 out of 10. And I was like, what more could I have done <laughs> to get 10 out of 10? You know, but... Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm I'm personally a bit bitter about uh, how, some player ratings like that. How long ago was that, Mike? Oh, it's uh, about fifteen years ago now, and I'm still, still I'm still not over it. Still bitter about it. There you go. Um, <laughs> teacher. Yep. <laughs> Can you remember the teacher, Mike? Um, do you know what? I can't. No, oh, but there you can't, go. Can't call him up. <laughs> um, Helm got the goal for Burton. Adam. It, I've seen a few people criticise Holy for this one, and at first I was kind of like, at the time I was a bit, maybe it wasn't that far in the corner, but actually when you look back on the highlights, it's really well struck shot, isn't it? And that, that's the difference in League One. You've got players who probably don't even score that many goals, but can get a shot away that quickly and that powerfully past your key before he's really got a chance to die for it. Yeah, the one thing that I was really annoyed about with that goal wasn't Holy. I don't think he really could have done much more about it. I think it was the fact that we'd had... Well, won so much possession, so much dominance, and then you know, ended up behind so uh, so easily. But also, I think the defense, just because they'd had so much of the ball, weren't quite switched on. Where they gave them a bit too much space to get a shot off. Um, because, like you say, in this league, you can't allow much space at all. Um, and they gave him probably a, a yard or two to get a, a shot away, which allowed him to pick his spot, and he picked it well. I want to ask you about the, um, there was a penalty shot in the first half, Adam, and you'll have a, had a better view of this than me and Mike because we're on the paddock side. Because I, I think we completely missed it until we saw the highlights back later. It was the chance Joe Garner had where um, Butterworth gets into the box on the right-hand side and plays yeah. the ball across. Garner controls it and hits a shot that hits a defender on the line and is cleared. Butterworth gets crunched after the ball's gone. Yeah. That, that's a penalty, isn't it, surely? Yeah, I think... <sighs> With football, I I saw it at first, and I saw him get challenged after he played the ball. I think it's it's one of those ones where it's just going to come down to the referee because it was quite late. It's not like as if he's played mm. the ball and then immediately afterwards he's been hit. It's He's played the ball, there's a little bit of a gap, and then the guy's gone into him. So I can understand why a lot of people probably would think it's a penalty. I don't just because I think he's got the ball off um, and it's just not going to get given but I can certainly understand where you're coming from. I feel like VAR, Mike, would have looked back at that and probably had a decent shot for giving it. Keep it away from Carlisle. <laughs> I know, yeah. But, it would. but I think the officials were watching Garner and watching yeah. that shot. Um, at the time, I thought it maybe struck the Burton defender's arm on the line. I, looking back now, I, I don't Yeah, I don't think it did. Um, but on the whole, um, while we're on about sort of officials, I, th- I think they were brilliant. I think Burton came with a clear plan of disrupting the game and not letting it flow, and the officials let it flow very, very well. Yeah, I mean, he he, he pinned down the defender, didn't he, early on the right-back Hamer with a booking, didn't he, for a time-wasting. I don't think he was actually wasting that much time, but I think he'd, he'd done yeah. it a few times, and he was kind of like, I'm sick of this, just get on with it, mm. isn't it? Yeah, I think it was... I, I do think they were... Uh, very good officials, but I think also Burton fans would probably have a right to be like some of them were a little bit harsh, like yeah. especially that one. I thought he's just because the centre backs were just meandering into the box for the long throw in, so it wasn't really him that was causing the weight, it was the centre backs. So yeah, uh, I, think, I thought I think, that was a little bit harsh, but we'll take it. I think the reason he did it is because it took so long that Garner had a chance to change his mind and come back to come and defend it. And he thought, <laughs> yeah. this is like, 
if it's taken this long, just get on with it. You know what I mean? He, I think that's it's kind of. Big. I think he played the advantage very well. Actually, I was quite impressed with how mm. how often he pulled back for free kicks on on a few mm. occasions. And yeah, he, he was he's quite an impressive referee. I thought in terms of uh, his decision making. And there was one decision by one of the officials second half that we'll get onto in a minute that looks a bit dodgy from looking back at the footage now. But um, yeah, there was that chance for Gary mentioned there, and into the second half, um, the Jordan Gibson goal. Um, Mike, you are the official gatekeeper of assists on Twitter for Cal United. Yeah. Can you genuinely say that's a Danny Butterworth assist? No. Well, I, I well no, I <laughs> I've accredited it with him, is. but the this yeah, the, I've because I've got two sort of piles this season and that's strictly speaking that is an assist. Um but I think what Danny Butterworth was trying to do was what Paul Gascoigne did against Scotland in Euro 96. And then he realised that he got too much on the ball and kind of stopped and realised, yeah, I'm not getting that. But Gibson, fair play, just kept running in at the far post. And uh, I think Crokham could have done a bit better. But, you know, again, Gibson, if you don't have a go, you're not going to score. Well, Crokham had popped on wrist, didn't he, Adam? I think it went right, yeah. right through them. It was was, it was not yeah. a great attempt to save it. But as Mike says there, you just got to hit the target. And then the technique is the most important thing. Yeah, and he's hit it with some power as well. You know, coming mm. onto it first time, those ones are so easy to, uh, to you know, miss hit just to slice into the into the Warwick. But he made a very clean contact of it. Um, I thought at first the keeper had pushed it um, behind for a corner. When I saw the the net ripple, it was only when I sort of looked behind and saw the reaction of the the fans behind the goal that I realised it was hit the back of the net. But yeah, Gibson again just getting into good positions. It's good awareness as well. Good being proactive rather than being reactive because he's a he's a mile away from when the ball's first played. He's yeah. right over on the touchline, mm-hmm. um, but he sees the run of Butterworth, and I think he sort of anticipates that he might end up getting the ball, and it worked out for him. Yeah, I, I think what you say there, Mike, about what he's trying to do. I, I think what's happened is I think he's got caught between wanting to do that, but then also thinking, ooh there might be an opportunity to actually put this first time over the keeper. Yeah. Doesn't do either of those things, but actually <laughs> puts it on a play for Jordan Gibson to get the uh, the equaliser. Um, from there, it was pretty much all United. I think they had one chance going forward that Walker um, put into the side netting. Um, Jordan Gibson had a decent chance from range on his left foot that was well held by um, Crocom. And then before the winning goal, the, the, the two of the major incidents were Moxon's block that almost flew into the top corner. I looked much closer to the top corner from where we were in the paddock, didn't it, Mike? But actually, when you mm. look back, it was straight at Crokin, wasn't it? And he got a bit lucky there, I think it's fair to say, the defender. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like the way our luck has been this season, if we were the defending team in that situation, the ball would have hit the back of the net. You know, it's just it was just unfortunate. But yeah, we kept, we kept the pressure on uh, and we kept going. All right, Adam, you'll have had a, a good view of this one from the East Stand as well. Finn backs disallowed goal. Did that ball go out or not? Because looking back, oh, it, when it happened at the time, I saw the flag go up quite early once he put it in the net. And I thought, ah, oh, it's gone out of play. But looking back on the pitch side blues, it doesn't look to me like it's gone out. The way the because because of the the curve on it and the way it comes to back about three or four yards out, I I think it was in. Well, my initial sort of thoughts as it was happening was the cross got deflected over the keeper. And for a split second, I was like, why is the keeper being so casual about this? Mm. Like, he was just sort of hands down watching it go over his head. And then it got to back at the... I thought it was Butterworth at first. I might have, mm. Butterworth might not have even been on the pitch at that point, but I thought it was Butterworth. Um, back on the end of it, obviously nodded it in. 
saw the assistant's flag up on the far side. I had no clue what for. I thought he'd given it as offside. I was like, well, that's impossible. There's no way he was offside in that scenario. Then it turns out to be a corner. And then, like, as you said, the pitch side blues footage, I don't, I don't see how, from the angle that Armour crossed out, because if he was at the byline, I was like, mm. okay, fair enough. But it's about a good five yards away from the byline. I don't think it's looped that much and curled yeah. enough to go mm. out and come back in. So yeah. I think Burton might have gotten away with it, but it's it, it's so contentious, it, it, and ultimately it doesn't matter in the end. But yeah. I feel bad for Finn back because it could have been his first Carlo goal. Yeah, that's the frustrating thing about it. And like like you said, I think the only way you're ever going to tell it is if you've had a, a, like a camera up in the A stand, but basically mm. right along that line to show you. I don't think that's the only way you would have found out. Um, and then came the winning goal, Mike, late on, and. Uh, Again, lovely play by Gibson. Actually, good play by Maguire to play Gibson in down the left and cuts back onto his right. And he he's so good at those little sort of sort of dinked, chipped crosses to the far post, isn't he? Gibson mm. finds Terry there, who I have to say does really well to hit it back across goal. I don't think it's going in. I think no, I thought it was in. at the time, but yeah. yeah, I don't think it's going in. And Joe Garner, Johnny on the spot, bundles the the ball and himself into the back of the net, which I think. Fans of a certain vintage will remember, I think it was Keith Welwyn back in the day, used to do that quite often, uh, end up in the back of the net with the ball. And uh, it's the winning goal. No less than we deserve, really, was it? No, not at all. Uh, it was fantastic. And Ablade is now our second highest assister in the in the squad. Um, yeah, again, did he mean the assist? I don't know. But he certainly caused a lot of chaos when he came on. And... Uh, I think Simo said that he was contemplating taking Garner off, but mm. you know, the only person who's going to sort of have the nous to head that in in the eight, in the ninetieth, eightieth, eighty eighth minute is uh, yeah is Joe Garner. But I saw some before the three goals he scored this season have been in the eighty eighth minute and then two in the ninetieth. So well, yeah, sums it up, doesn't it? Really, mm. he's been late on. I mean, we talked about the fact that maybe he needs to be you know, rested a little bit, but if he's still playing that well towards the end of the game, it just shows, doesn't it? And yeah, you mentioned Terry there, uh, Mike, uh, Adam, about him. He's a scrappy sort of player, isn't he? I think we sort of said this last week. We're not, he's not the finished article by any means, but he does have something about him, doesn't he? In terms of, you know, the way that he comes on and very much in that Johan Smith style, you're not really quite sure what he's going to do next and he causes a little bit of chaos. Yeah, he's, well, I use the analogy of him just not being 100% all the time. It's like if you play FIFA and you just have R2 or the right trigger, whatever console you play on, and just tape it down and just leave it there for the whole time that he's on. He just cut, he's just full force all the time. And it's brilliant in certain scenarios. Um, I thought it was maybe a little bit early to bring him on initially, but obviously it works out in the end. But there was another chance, I can't remember exactly when it was, that it come over to him on the far side and his touch was really scrappy, and then he slipped on the ball, and it's just like, just breathe, Terry. Just just yeah. take a second, <laughs> assess things, and then you can go if you want to. But uh, he's a chaos player. That's what he's been brought in to do, and it works. Yeah, I think you're 100% right about that other one. It, it was a lovely ball over to him, and he, he, you could tell he was just desperate to take, because I think he knew, if I get this bang on right, I get this control right, I'm in. I'm in on goal. And instead of thinking, let's just get the control right first and then see where I am. You're right. He, he's trying to think ahead a little bit too much at times. But but hey, he had, he had the awareness to head it back across goal into an area. You might say it wasn't intentional, Mike, but 
the whole point of it is you've put it into a good area and said to someone, right, you get on the end of that. And Joe Garner's done that, hasn't he? So Yeah, really exactly. Uh, and as well, because of his pace, Burton couldn't push high as they were chasing mm. that goal for injury time. You know, they if they pushed high, Ablade's got them all for speed. So, yeah, yeah it, it just gives us that little thing that we had with Patrick last season that some people didn't always notice. Yeah, and 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 late on, to be fair, I mean, he took the ball into the corner really well and just held it there, didn't he? And just yeah. said, right, you know, I'm just going to keep it here. And, and Garner did similar, so really, really good to see that. Um, well, let's just talk about some of the talking points before we do the six-second reviews. Um, I've put one down in. I, I, I don't know what you guys think of this. Adam, you might want to say first, but best footballing performance of the season? Possibly the best one since Simo's come back? I know we were helped a bit by Burton in that sense, but in terms of just... Pure football in terms of passing, playing that kind of thing. I thought it was one of the better ones we've had. Yeah, I think, as you said, it was helped by Burton. I saw Mike, you commented under uh, one of the, I think it was the Man the Match post I put out about um, how good uh, Lavelle and Mellish were and the mm. fact that they were sort of helped by the fact that Burton were so negative in their approach. I mean, you can't believe they scored four at the weekend playing like that. 6 3 um, one they were playing. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was, it was unbelievable, but. Um, I think it was good just to see that other side of of the team. The fact that they can play that sort of possession heavy style, you know, sixty five percent possession. I think they had nearly five hundred passes to uh Burton's two hundred and sixty. Mm. So it's good to see that there is that capability there if needed. Um but yeah, I think like I said, it was massively helped by, by Burton. Yeah, were you a little bit surprised, Mike, by how negative they were? I mean that's six three one and it was good to see the patience that we showed there, wasn't it? Because there was there was one bloke stood behind me. Um, he was doing my head in front of the game. He was doing a running commentary and everything was terrible. And like he was constantly wanting to just lump the ball forward. And, mm. and we were all right. I'm like, no, it's fine. You mm. can keep the ball sometimes, can't you? Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Adam touched on it then and sort of playing a 6-3-1. The amount of times that they tried to get the ball forward and we we had the numbers in sort of our third so we'd mm. rather than just sort of head it and it's straight back at them and then straight back at us, we just sort of. Mel- I mean, Mellish had the composure of a thirty-five-year-old Italian centre half. <laughs> he was just so composed on the ball. He'd win the ball, and we'd just sort of slowly start another move again, and we just kept on doing that. But one word I'd use to describe it is fluid. It, you know, yeah. Mellish. I mean, so- sometimes Lavelle would make a Mellish-esque run, and mm. Guy would just slot him behind, and they all just kind of had an understanding that defensive unit and I think once the attacking unit gets that same kind of understanding well there'll be no stopping us yeah four two three one was the formation of choice for this game Adam do you think this is potentially a good option for us going forward for these home games especially the ones where we know we're going to have a, a lot more of the ball than we do you know for some of the away games like you know your likes of your Boltons and your Portsmouths yeah I don't think I think obviously when you've got a five back you're more likely to be more solid defensively, but one thing I think I, I brought up um, in in one of the threads I did is the fact that it allows us, even against better teams, to get out easier rather than doing what Burton did and just hoofing it long and having a numbers disadvantage, having those extra bodies in midfield helps us to get out in transition a bit better um, and like I said it helps us to keep the ball better which is something as you touched on with some fans doesn't sit well when we keep the ball so much we're not trying to fire a long ball in oh my god I could not believe how many people didn't understand that 
Burton were just going to sit in that six and not <laughs> let us just pass through them. And we were either going to have to keep the ball and or go long. And they just couldn't fathom the fact that if we keep the ball, we're not going to we're not going to concede. And yeah. it was, as you said, it was just so frustrating. Yeah, love Carl yeah. fans, but. Yeah, just can be, can be frustrating, can't they? I think it's fair to say the car fans. Uh, Butterworth's first start, Mike. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought he was very good, and he certainly grabbed the opportunity with both hands. And I think all going well should be in the team for Cambridge. Yeah, I, I can imagine him being a, in, in, possibly in the team there if McCallum's not fit at the very least anyway. Um, Mellish and Lavelle at the back. I just want to talk a bit about them, um, Adam. Forming a really fantastic partnership and understanding, aren't they? You know, Lavelle, much better ball player than I think we probably all gave him credit for as well. And the same with Mellish, actually, to be fair. I thought his use of the ball was fantastic on, on Tuesday night. He's come on so, so far in the last you know, four or five years being with us in terms of his ability on the ball and his composure. That was probably his, probably his best defensive performance for us, I think, since, he, since he's arrived. I know, like I said, he was helped by the fact that they didn't really have much in attack. But... He still did his job right, didn't he? Yeah, as you said, I think that's one of the best games I've seen Mellish have on the ball. I mean, sometimes, especially when he's marauding into those midfield areas, the word donkey springs to mind with some of the touches and the just decision making. But that's what it's who he is as a player. He's just yeah. he's not necessarily finesse, but that's why he's effective, especially in around these levels. But I think, yeah, the two of them are showing that they have more capabilities. I think if you were to swap out Lavelle uh, for Huntington, I don't think it'd be quite the same because there is a lot of times where Huntington gets the ball and doesn't necessarily try to find the short pass or doesn't want to receive it short. He'd rather go long and clear danger just because he's maybe more of a traditional centre-back, especially with the age he is. Um, but I really like what they're doing as a, as a pairing and I think it's it's been really solid. Yeah. I think we've we've already touched on Finn back. I had that as a talking point. We've already done that, and and similar with Joe Gardner, we talked about the fact that it's seriously impressive how well he's doing. It's a little bit worrying that we're constantly relying on him, and if he gets injured, what do we do then? That that that's one slight concern. Mm. I just well, want to talk as well. If he gets yeah. boxed in the next game, well, that that's actually that's a good talking point. Actually, I don't. Garner, Guy, Mellish, and Lavelle are all on four bookings. One more booking, mm. they are suspended for one match. Now, FA Cup games, I'm pretty sure, count towards that. They do. So, I'm not suggesting they deliberately get booked in any way, but I'm saying it would probably be quite convenient for us if maybe one or two of them picked up bookings and missed that game against Ori in the Cup rather what? than missing a league game coming up. Paul Simpson turns into Jose Mourinho in the Champions League. What game was that? <laughs> I think it was when he's yeah. managing Real Madrid, told Xavi yeah. Alonso and Sergio Ramos to get sent off. Yeah. So they, could, so they got their bookings wiped off. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I don't think he'll do that because I think nah. he's made it pretty clear how uh, valuable he thinks cup competitions are, especially with the money that comes in. I mm. mean, with the Piatax, that might not be as much of a concern anymore. Um, but I, I don't think he'll do that. But it wouldn't surprise me if somebody like Joe Garner, who is quite a, a wily operator, decides to get a, a late book in against Cambridge so he doesn't have to play in the late in Orient game. Yeah, so it keeps it. I mean, that will give him two weeks off basically ahead of the uh, Bristol Rovers game in the league, which 
to be honest, might not be the worst thing. I, I'd imagine, I wouldn't be surprised if he was rested for that game against Orient anyway, to be honest, Garner. I think it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Um, right, let's have the six-second reviews. First up, uh, Cameron Alamu. He sent us in one. We started with Cameron at the game, so here's what he had to say about the match. Hi, gents. First time for everything, but I thought I'd give it a go. This is my 60-second review of the Burton Albion game. All in all, a great performance from every single member of that team. Every player played well, each to a man. Especially Butterworth was very impressive. Sam Lavelle won everything at the back. Finn back gave us options. And Jordan Gibson's trickery caused problems throughout the whole 90 minutes for that Burton Albion defence in midfield. All in all, a great performance, even though I was very disappointed in Burton Albion, considering that they're the second most informed team in the division. But if that's what they have to offer, and we keep, keep coming up with performances like that, I think we'll do very well. I would also like to make a special mention to the referee. Maybe the EFL should look into this referee and actually give out videos on how to referee the game because that gentleman tonight in the middle did fantastically. Kept the ball ticking over, gave decisions that were correct for both sides and the bookings were correct. All in all, an enjoyable night and hopefully positive result at the weekend away at Cambridge. Up the Blues. I should say here, you can take... Cameron's views on referees quite seriously because he's a referee at Carlisle City's level, isn't he, Mike? I think he referees yeah. games around about that level. So he, he knows what he's talking about more than we it's do. Part of the union. He is part of the ref's union, isn't he? So he, he's sticking up for his mate there. But I've, yeah, that, that's fair enough because we stand with him, Mike. And, he, and if a ref's bad, he'll say a ref's bad, isn't he? He'll say he's got that wrong. So. Well, generally, his referee union membership does... Um, prevent him from saying they're bad in fact the only referee <laughs> that he's ever criticized ever was thomas parsons um which yeah that says how bad he is if even cameron <laughs> criticized him but uh but yeah no like like we said before he really let the game flow against a team that the manager did not want the game to flow i've got to mention about dino mamory there you mentioned the, their manager um looking like a uh a disgraced PE teacher on the touchline with his video <laughs> and uh, t-shirt set up. But, um, yeah, here's some of his... Po- I, I think he was quite fair in some of his post-match stuff in terms of saying we deserved the win, you know, they didn't deserve to get anything from it. But he said he was frustrated because he felt like they were controlling possession, which they, they clearly weren't when you look at the, the figures, but also that they lost two goals to counter-attacks. Now, the first goal, we had about 20 passes before guys ball into Butterworth. Mm. So that's not a counter-attack. <laughs> and the second one, we were just having constant pressure on their goal, so I'm, I'm mm. not sure where nonsense like that comes from. But then, Well, he, he said as well that Burton dominated possession well. Well, they didn't. They, exactly. they very, very clearly didn't, but, but yeah, that, that, that's him for you. There, there you go. Right, uh, time for our regular review from young Craig Robson as well. So here's what he had to say on the game. It's amazing, this. For once, we actually played, like, an established League One side. Um... I mean, yeah, there was a few mistakes, but there wasn't many. Um, I thought we went well about it and we actually thought of what we were doing instead of just hitting it and hope it fell for us. Um, we got the ball down and we passed and we passed, We thought about who we passed it to. Um, we had And to be fair, if you think about it, we had loads of opportunities to score, but we just didn't take them. But when we got our heads down, we were all over them. I thought Butterworth was really good, and to be fair, if you can if you can keep up performances and perform like that, I think he might turn into a really nice and like tidy player. 
we were definitely the better team and we definitely deserved to win. It's just a matter of trying to take this performance and building on it. And hopefully we can do that and build a solid platform to kind of stand on until the Piatics come in and hopefully give the new the club a new like feel of security. Um, the ref was amazing. Um, it's been a long time coming that we've, had, that we've needed a decent ref. Um, just gives us hope, really. On to the next one. Up the Blues. Not sure what he was doing at the end there with it, moving his coat about or something there, Craig. But no, thank you very much for your review as usual, Craig. Um, before we get into the second half of the show, let's do a quick rundown of the Tuesday night results in League One. Um, first up, Shrewsbury Town not having a really good time of it. Barnsley having a very good time of it, worrying that we've got them coming up in a few weeks. Three uh, 0 win they got at home against the Shrews. Blackpool. Well, you mentioned that I've got a mate who's a Barnsley fan, and he said that Shrewsbury are the worst team he's seen at this level since Barnsley have come down into this league. Wow, I mean, I, I wasn't that impressed with them in the game at Brunton Park, if I'm honest. I don't think they were a very good side. Uh, Blackpool, 3-2 win over Cheltenham. Cheltenham has scored f- four, three games in a row now, haven't they, I think? So it's all going well for them, except for the results. Um, Bristol Rovers got a 1-1 draw against Stevenage, which has seemingly cost Joey Barton his job. Uh, Cambridge, our opponents this weekend, they got a 0-0 draw at home against Portsmouth. Not a bad result for them. Exeter lost 2-0 at Derby County. Exeter really dropped down the league, haven't they, Adam? It's caught me completely by surprise because they were right up there when they beat us. Yeah, well, it's, it's one of those ones where you look back at it now, obviously a few weeks ago, you'd think, oh, well, it's not a bad one to lose because they were doing so well at the time. But now you look back at it and they're probably going to be in around where we want to be. So it's that home game's probably going to look worse and worse, I think, as the game, uh, not the game, as the league goes on. Um mm. But, yeah, I mean, they lost the likes of Giovanni Brown, who was now at um, at Bristol Rovers. Bristol Rovers. Yeah. Um, but they lost Nombe, didn't they, as well? To and Nombe yeah. and others probably. Um, and Well, they had Jay Stansfield as well last year, who's yeah. with Birmingham now. So it doesn't surprise me that they're sort of in the position that they're at now. Um, mm. But, yeah, that game's looking worse and worse as the season goes on. Yeah. Lincoln got a three-one win over Charlton Athletic, who are not having. Uh, considering we, I think we all predicted them in, to be in the playoffs, didn't we, Mike? They're they're not really having the start of the mm. season they may have hoped. Uh, Northampton two-two draw against Leighton Orient. They had a two-one lead in that game, and uh, Bowie got sent off for them. And uh, Ford got a ninety-six minute equaliser for Leighton Orient. So not a great result in terms of that. Port Vale, they're dropping down a little bit as well. They lost 1-0 uh, home to Peterborough. Wigan seem to be finding a little bit of form again, which is a bit worrying for us because they're below us. They got a 2-0 win over Oxford United. That's a good result for them then. Uh, Wickham lost 4-2 at home to Bolton Wanderers. Um, some late goals in that one, though, to be fair. I think Wickham got it back to 2-2 with eight on 82 minutes, and then Bolton got their third on 85, and then a win, well, the fourth on 89. So, yeah interesting on that one and Reading like I said their farm's terrible they lost 2-1 at home to to Fleetwood a 92nd minute winner for the uh, for the Cod Army so yeah great result for them in that sense but there you go uh, in terms of the table um, where does it leave us I'm just trying to load that up now uh, we're still in 20th place aren't we sitting three points outside the relegation zone having played two games more than both Fleetwood and Wigan so I suppose a little bit more in that sense, but if we keep up the good form we've got, the teams above us are the ones that are dropping down at the moment, aren't they? I mean, you look at it, like I said, neither, but I'm looking here in the last five games, Exeter, Cambridge and Port Vale have all failed to win in any of the last five games. So we just got to keep up our solid form and, and drag ourselves up the table, don't we? 
Yeah, well, look at the five teams who are above us. Uh, Shrewsbury, Bristol Rovers, Cambridge, Exeter and Northampton. I think Bristol Rovers are a little bit out of place just with the quality they have mm. in their squad. I think they'll probably ascend a little bit, but Shrewsbury, Cambridge, Exeter and Northampton, I think they're all gettable. I don't think mm. any of them, from the results they've had and what I've seen, look to be particularly special. So I think I think we're even though we've played more games than most teams, especially with these fixtures coming up, we can really start to climb those those posi- uh, positions. Yeah, absolutely. Right, we'll take a short break and then we'll be back to preview the Cambridge United game. Hi, I'm Paul Simpson from the Football Club. Welcome to the Brunton Bugle. And we're into the second half of the show. Uh, we're going to look ahead to this weekend's game down at Cambridge. First up uh, is Behind Enemy Lines. And this week we spoke to Jack from the Under the Abbey Stand podcast. Um, Jack's actually originally from Carlisle. So the opening question is him explaining to me how he's ended up being a Cambridge United fan. So there you go. Um, what do we talk about? Uh, how are they coping with after losing some of their key attacking options this summer? Uh, how JK Gordon's getting on, having made his low move there in the summer window. And some of the ongoing issues they've got related to the attempts to renovate their stadium. So here's the chat I had with Jack earlier today. So yes, here we are with the latest episode of Behind Enemy Lines. And we're going to speak to Jack from the Under the Abbey Stand podcast. Obviously, it's a Cambridge United podcast. We we spoke to you a few years back, uh, Jack, when you guys uh, flew up League Two and into League One. Um, now, some people who were listening back then might not remember the fact that you're actually from Carl. I like you originally. So how on earth did you end up being a Cambridge United fan? Uh, yeah, it's um, it's something I get reminded of very regularly. It was quite nice that Cambridge and Carlisle weren't in the same league because it uh, didn't come up as much. But now we're back in the same league. Uh, yeah, uh, born and raised in Carlisle, first 20 years of my life uh, in Brampton, actually, just uh, just east of uh, Carlisle. And yeah, found myself at Brunton Park as a, as a youngster, as a very young youngster. Um, but then uh, was became an adopted Spurs fan for a, a, a few years. And then when I moved to Cambridge... Um, uh, I just immediately I qualified as a broadcast journalist and immediately got a season ticket, started reporting on Cambridge. Now I've been here uh, thirteen years, and um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's a bit of a funny story, and I get ripped all the time about it, you know, for not being a loyal football fan. But you know, I go to more games than many fans of Premier League teams have been to. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm a Cambridge fan, and um, uh, but yeah, always have a place in my heart for Carlisle. Um, Saturday aside. Yeah, it's one of those things that it? people follow end up following clubs for different reasons and different ways, isn't it? Because there's, there's quite a few members of the London branch of the Car United Sports Club who who are like born and bred Cockneys and and, and Londoners, and, and they they loyally follow Carlisle. So it, it does happen, you know. You do end up following a uh, different clubs. Um, I want to go back a few years, so back to that season in League Two where you guys got promoted. I mean, you guys were excellent that season, and a huge part of that. It was thanks to the goals of Paul Mullen and obviously the creativity of Wes Houlihan in midfield. Now, obviously, you lost Mullen to Wrexham that summer. And then I think it was a year later, Houlihan retired after one season in League yeah. One. So how much of a challenge was it when you lost those two players to sort of keep yourselves? Because when a club, a team like even like a Carlisle Aura came, you know, when we lost Michael Bridges, when you'd lose a talisman like that, it's difficult, isn't it? It's a challenge. Absolutely. Um, you know, they leave such a big hole uh, and especially, you know, it's not all about scoring goals, but when two creative players like that, you know, Mullin had his breakout season. That wasn't something he'd done yeah. for like a number of years, but it was just so incredible. Um, we were very fortunate to keep Joe Ironside, um, who had a good season after after uh, Mullin left and kind of picked up that mantle. Um we brought in people like Sam Smith, who'd been at the club before and really did a job, uh, you know, you know, last season especially. And 
and kind of mainstays, you know, Greg Taylor came up with us, you know, and Harrison Dunk from the conference and they stayed and did really good jobs. Greg, you know, has since left after, you know, great years of service to the club and Harrison's still with us, but injured. But I mean, you know, there was a good core in, in that, uh, in that team and, you know, players like, uh, Adam May and Paul Digby kind of controlling it in the middle. You know, I think if you look back to last season, you will see that we struggled. Um, and, you know, we were very fortunate in the end to stay up in League One. But, um, you know, a big part of that was Sam Smith's goals. You know, he's a competent striker uh, when he lets his football do the talking. And, you know, he's gone now as well. So, as you say, a, a, a club the size of ours, you know, Cambridge and Carlisle, really, you know, we're both on the smaller side and maybe punching above our weight a little, Um you know, until you get the big takeover, of course. But um, I think, um, yeah, I think you go through it quite often. It's quite transitionary. It's quite difficult to, um, you know, maintain momentum when you get a player who performs well and then they are either at the end of their career, so retire or go, and you know, get twice as much money uh, money a a year, um, even if it is (laughs) dropping down a couple of leagues. So um, it is just difficult, but I think, we were very fortunate that Ironside really carried the mantle that season after. And then we've kind of, you know, just about found our feet and we're kind of rebuilding again, almost, you know, we're still finding our best formation and our best lineup and that's clear in our results. But uh, yeah, we're in kind of similar position to you at the moment. Yeah. I, mean, I was going to ask you about this season. So what, what's your expectations for the campaign? Cause I have to admit when we did our season preview episode, I think all three of us thought you guys would struggle mainly because we looked and thought, not sure where the goals are going to come from. We thought defensively look really solid, but up front, having lost those key players in the summer, like Smith and then and I inside and go, it was kind of feeling like, ooh, are they going to struggle to get goals here? Um, it's an interesting one. I think, to be honest, you, you, football fans are pretty fickle and you can get a million different answers. I think if you speak to you know, the, the happy medium of the Cambridge United fans, survival would be our aim this season. And I think that's probably realistic and where we should be looking still, really. You know, and maybe, you know, Comfortable survival would be brilliant, you know, not not being in the last five games and still questioning about whether we're going to stay up. You know, that's the kind of aim. We shouldn't be yeah. looking to a season like last season. And I think looking where the goals are going to come from, you know, we, we, we've put a lot of, um, you know, responsibility on Fajiri Okunabire, who stayed in and started the season really well, better from the bench than, hmm. you know, than, than starting. And then we brought in Gaston Hadme as well who's looked good on loan from Ipswich, got a couple of goals. But you're very right. We do look like we could be light on goals. And we, we, we have seen it already this season. You know, one of our best players this season has been Saiku Janna, who was really questionable last season. And he's good kind of out wide. And, you know, we can be dangerous from wide positions, but you do need the people in there to finish them off. Bringing Kachunga and Sully Kai Kai in, both with really good football league experience, Kachunga with Premier League experience. Um you know, but both have already this season picked up injuries. So it, it feels like it could be a long one. And I think, you know, there's there's going to have to be someone to kind of, you know, bring themselves forward, whether it's Okunabire, whether it's Hadme, you know, bring themselves forward and get that kind of 10, 12 goal, you know, area, maybe pushing 15. And then that's where we need someone to really lead the line. Yeah. So your manager, Mark Bonner, um, he seems a hugely popular figure of your fan base for the job he's done, which is quite yeah, similar to Simeon in that sense, quite remarkable the way he's led you guys up into League One. Um, what, how, I mean, what kind of a coach is he? Because, I mean, he's got no background as a player, really, has he? So he's come up through sort of coaching through your youth setup and to be first team manager, but seems to have taken to it like a duck to water. 
Yeah, I mean it's an incredible story. You know, had a season ticket in the Newmarket Road end at Cambridge United as a as a as a youngster, being involved with the club, like you say, in the youth scheme, kind of came through and and you know cut his teeth basically as a caretaker, and then you know kept on and and it's just been you know incredible since then. I feel for Mark Bonner because from the outside looking in. It, he is just, you know, an incredible success story and a manager we should be very thankful for. There was big questions calling for his head last season when we weren't doing well. There was a big kind of coming together of Rotherham. He, he, he went to Rotherham uh, for an interview, you know, and, and that was kind of out in the public domain. And I think that kind of coincided with where our bad run started. So Mark Bonner, for all that he's an incredible manager, he gets a pretty hard time from his own mm. fans. But yeah, he's an absolutely incredible manager. Um, he's working with what he's got at the moment. And I think yeah. we are a little bit kind of light personnel-wise. And I think we have struggled in the last eight games. And that has really put pressure on his selections and also what he does when the game isn't going right. You know, he's been questioned throughout his management career, actually. Uh, about what how he reacts in games and what changes he makes and you know w- w- the timings of the changes so he's still learning as a manager and um i think Cambridge United fans for the most part are happy that he's doing it with us and the success that he's bringing us but where we are at the moment and the winless run we've been on a win is really important for Bonner at the moment mm. and i think you know he will be targeting saturday for that but i mean we should have targeted the previous saturday against cheltenham who'd scored one goal all season yeah, it's it's typical, isn't it? It's always it's, that's usually a Carl thing to do to end a, a long run of a team not getting a result. But there you go. Um, I'm going to ask you about your danger men in the squad in a minute. But first, I'll ask you about the the Carl the links between the two teams. Obviously, uh, the obvious one starting with you guys, J.K. Gordon. So how has he settled in? Because our fans were actually quite keen to get him back in the summer, uh, but it seemed like he wanted to stay down south this time with his, his second known spell. Doesn't appear to be getting much game time for you guys though. Um, it's a weird one. He's kind of come into a team where we're fairly blessed in the positions that he plays in. He's looked really good, actually, since he's mm. he's come here. Though When he's come on, he's made a real difference. He looks kind of bright. I think they're kind of like blooding him in a little bit. And just, yeah, we've not, as I say, we've not really found our winning formula and our best lineup yet. And I don't think he would necessarily be the answer to why we're not winning games at the moment. So I think he kind of falls down the pecking order a bit. We're very loyal to to James Brophy, uh, mm. Jack Lancaster getting starts, and it kind of really um, reduces the chance of other players getting a look in. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if that necessarily changed on Saturday. But he looks really bright and he looks up for it and he looks like he um, he cares. He's been, I think there's been a couple of times he's been a little bit guilty of not tracking back. And I think that Bonner is a pretty, um, you know, he's pretty, he, he wants that from a player. He wants that kind of commitment. And I think if anyone doesn't quite put it in, then he'll be, you know, they'll have to work harder to get back into the team. But he's a great asset. And hopefully, like you said uh, when we spoke earlier, um, hopefully he can come on and uh, get a goal against you. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. I mean, the thing that stood out for me with him is he's only probably about five foot eleven, but very good in the air, really good area. And in physically really coped with League Two no problem from pretty much the first game. So I'm sure he will come good for you guys anyway. Um, I'll ask you quickly then about Thomas Hole as well. Obviously, he had a, a brief loan spell with you guys a few years back. Um, any good memories of him? Because I mean, he's a fairly popular guy at Brunton Park. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, he didn't. He just didn't really have much time with us. Um, mm. But he was. Uh, he only played a couple of games. But yeah, he was... Um, everyone just really enjoyed... The, 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 it, not the novelty, because I don't want to belittle, like, you yeah. know... 
what kind of player he is, but you know, he's absolutely massive, um, yes. which was great. And yeah, I think he kept a clean sheet, but like it's one of those kind of quiz questions we'll get in a few years as Cambridge United uh, fans, and yeah, but I'll always remember it. You know, I've got the I've got the holy connection. But um, nah, he um he he look, he's just like like you've said kind of b- before we started, he's just so good for set pieces. You know, he really commands that box he's not just tall he's you know he's physical as well and I think that's some that's a real asset to have as a keeper um so yeah I think you're really lucky to have him yeah uh well let's ask about the danger menu squad then who are the people we should be watching out for this weekend yeah it's the million dollar question really isn't it it's uh it's been quite a hard question to answer of late for for United we've um we've really not uh you know set the world on fire and it's been October has been really really tough for United you know we've scored two goals in the league and um yeah we've lost uh, an awful lot of games so it's a re- it's a real a real kind of make or break time for United at the moment i think um players Paul Digby is kind of ever present in the middle and he's not a flair player but if you're you know depending on who you start in that midfield they'll have a real good battle against Paul Digby. Mm. Um, Look out for our right-back, Ryan Bennett. He's kind of a youngster who's come under a lot of fire this season for a few mistakes, but he is unarguably just one of the best players on that pitch. His his technique is is incredible. And yeah, I would say um, it's going to be an interesting decision for Mark Bonner to make. You know, he's tried tried starting with Okunabire. He's tried starting with Ahadme. He's tried starting with both of them. And given that we've got... um, you know, holy and goal. Ahadme's threat, a lot of it is aerial from wide position. Mm. So it might be that you see Okunabire start and he could certainly give your defenders um, a bit of a headache. So, yeah, it's um, it's difficult to see, you know, how, how Mark Bonner's going to play this one because, um, you know, we're close to each other in the table. We're looking over our shoulders. We don't want to be any further down. So, yeah, I think this could be a really tasty game. And I think the team selection is going to, you know, be the thing that, that makes or breaks it. It'd be interesting to see Ryan Bennett's battle with Jordan Gibson, and he was obviously in very good form for us, playing on the left mostly recently, so that, that should be a good one. Off the pitch, um, there's been some interesting developments in terms of the stadium development at the Abbey Stadium, I think, recently, in terms of the sports club thing. I was, I've, been, I've been sort of semi-following this, because I saw it a while back, and I was like, oh, that's quite interesting. And Because it, it it's a lovely sort of old-school ground, the Abbey Stadium, but there's not been much done to it in the last 20 years, really, has there? I think it's fair to say. Yeah. It needs a bit of care. Um, it is like a little bit for a bet. It's very old school, but it is, yeah. yeah, kind of thrown together. And it's, you know, it's one of those kind of like gaps at each corner. It It's not really joined together. And a mm. m- major part of this has been the privately owned supporters club, which is on the the kind of left-hand corner of the opposite end of the pitch as you look at it from the away end. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, uh, uh, they, they run like a membership each year and it, it they, they've dug their heels in about not wanting to develop on the the site of the supporters club. And this has meant that the United couldn't really do any work um, because it also sprawls out into the main car park of the new market yeah. road end, you know, where the club opened. So it's been a real kind of sticking point. The club have done very well to negotiate with the supporters club themselves. Um, and it finally struck a deal where we now have that and can now start to redevelop. I think uh, Carlisle fans who've been to the Abbey before will remember that the, the, the away end is really far uh, actually yeah. from the pit. You know, you've got quite a big gap. So I think moving the pitch Closer that way, I think, will be the way and kind of developing the new market road end to kind of feel more, you know, more of a, a home end behind the goal. You know, make it even more kind of intimidating for visiting teams. And I think, yeah, just tidying everything up, you know, it is very kind of old school. It, it almost feels like, you know, going back in time when you stood in that end. And uh, yeah, there's loads to be done to it. And it's just such a massive thing. The club, 
for the first time in a number of years is in a strong financial state. We feel like we're run by a really good kind of owner and a team that he's brought in. He's brought in more investors. Um, there's kind of clarity between them and the, the fans that there hasn't been in the past. And, you know, the club have to take some credit for that. And they've worked very closely with, you know, conversing with fans and trying to, you know, put everything on the table and say, this is how it is. And, and it's certainly looking better off the pitch than it has been in a very long time. So I think Cambridge United fans uh, don't have to think too far back to it being uh, a lot worse than it is now. So, yeah, that's really positive. And hopefully... Uh, if we can consolidate our place in this league, that'll uh, you know just make uh, ground development even better. Yeah, because the, the capacity of the Abbey Stadium is not that big, actually, is it? I always, I always forget that. It's only about seven or eight thousand something like that, isn't it? So even when you get like a big cup game, you can't really get. There's a limit to how big you can get your crowds, isn't there? Right now, that's that's one of the challenges you face. Uh, there is. I mean, I think it would take a big cup game for us to uh, to to fill it. We. we it's just under eight thousand, I think, the capacity mm. when they when they use every available part of the ground, and we've kind of been flirting around uh, seven thousand at the top ends this year. So you know, it, uh, in capacities and kind of attendances, sorry, are increasing a lot, which is really nice to see, and it's nice to see new fan base coming in, a younger fan base too. Um, but yeah, I think you know another couple of thousand you know, could get get over that ten thousand mark and maybe make it you know a bit of a fortress and get more more people in. There's a um, a new deal just being struck with the university. I think there's quite a lot of questions in Cambridge about like a kind of divide of town and gown where the university don't show any interest in the club and stuff like that. So I think they're yeah. trying to kind of make a bit of a, a partnership there. So yeah, I think off the pitch, things are looking pretty positive for Cambridge United. And uh, it's quite hard to remember that, you know, when you go on a, a game, a, a game streak where you have one in eight, but yeah, there's plenty to be thankful about at the moment. That's good stuff, good stuff. Um, well, you've been very generous for your time, Jack. Thank you very much. So before you go, I'm going to have to ask you for a prediction for this weekend's game. Well, yeah, uh, I asked you earlier and it was not the answer I wanted to hear. <laughs> I, it's such a tough game to call. And I think, you know, Cambridge and Carlisle always seem to throw up quite good games when we when we play each other and uh, there's always goals. So, yeah, you also predicted both teams to score. I think I'll go 2-1 Cambridge United for uh, to, to mix it up a bit. Well, you said there's always goals. I remember the first time I came to you, down to Cambridge was the 5 0 defeat under Graham Kavanagh, his last game in charge. So there's plenty of goals that time, but hopefully not in the same way this weekend. I don't know. There you go. Jack, back to your time and all the best for the rest of the season after this weekend's game. Thank you. Yeah, thanks once again, Jack, for giving up some time to speak to us uh, this week ahead of the game. Um, let's talk about Cambridge then. Um, I'll come to you first on this, Adam, because I think. Mike, I and Mike, Dan, and I all predicted that Cambridge would struggle this season, and part of the reason we felt was that they didn't really have good attacking options, and they hadn't really strengthened that much. Now they've brought in a couple of loanies since then: the lad from Ipswich and J.K. Gordon. What was your thoughts on them coming to the season? Did you think they were going to have a tough time of it? Yeah, I thought they'd be right around the the bottom, just because of how they were last year. They, I think, it was it's maybe one or two games to go they scraped uh, survival by a couple of points maybe even goal difference I can't remember but that was with like so Sam Smith Lloyd Jones Joe Ironside who have since left uh, Sam Smith obviously gone to, to Reading which doesn't seem to be panning out too well for him um, yeah. but yeah I expected them to be near the bottom of the table their form suggests that they're going to be around there they haven't won since the 4th of September so this is a game that I think, especially off the back of Burton, needs to be taken full confidence in, and this is definitely a winnable game. 
you look at it, Mike, they had a, a, a really good start to the season. Actually, they beat Oxford in the opening game. The first couple of games, you thought, oh, they might actually be right up there. Maybe it's one of these ones where an unexpected team finds these good attacking talents from nowhere and gets up there. But actually, now things have settled a bit. They're finding their natural level, possibly, would you argue? Yeah, I think so. But it goes to show as well in this league, you know, if you kind of go five, six games without a win, how far you plummet down the table. And likewise, if we can go on a kind of reverse run of five, six games without a defeat, how high it could uh, plunge us up the table. I wouldn't say plunge us up, propel us up, I think. Propel, that's the word, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Plunge up. Um, Looking at their summer recruitment, Adam, is there any names that really stand out for you? I mean, J.K. Gon's an obvious one. We'll maybe talk about that in a minute. But I think... Sully Kaika is an interesting one. He's always been quite a decent forward. I think he used to be at Crystal Palace back a few years back. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those ones where they've just had to bring in a lot of sort of fringe players from other clubs, which is never a it's never a great sign when you're having to bring in the likes of you know Kachunga and Kaikai and Jordan Cousins who are all in and around your level and clearly aren't wanted by those teams. So it sort of suggests the level you're going to be at isn't uh, isn't great. I don't know. How uh, well Cambridge fans thought they were going to do this year, but I don't think they would have been particularly uh, pleased with that summer transfer window. Yeah, I mean they finished twentieth last season. I think they avoided relegation on the final day, didn't they? So it's it's. it's I'd, I'd imagine the expectations were if they can finish a little bit higher than that, they would have been delighted. I mean, you look at the players they've lost, Mike. They have lost some key players. Lloyd Jones going to Charlton's one that stands out, as Adam mentioned before, and. Sam Smith and Harvey Nibs are the two of us. And then Joe Ironside dropping down level, I think that's more a case of him moving on, really, as much as anything, because he hadn't quite made it at League One level. But they had lost some big players, haven't they? Yeah, well, you touched on Sam Smith then. I think he scored about 17 goals last season, mm. which for a team at the bottom end of the table is pretty damn impressive. Um, but again, he hasn't seemed to have done a lot at Reading. Uh, Lloyd-Jones is a very good defender that they've lost. Um, I think a lot of the other players they've lost are kind of just trimming off the fat of the squad. They didn't mm. lose, you know, they lost a few players to sort of clubs lowered onto the London, the M25 non-league circuit, as we like to call yeah. it. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I'm sort of going to stick by my prediction from the summer in that they're not going to do that well when you look at the squad on paper. Yeah, I mean, you say they trimmed off the fat of the squad. When I was doing it, and I, when you go to transfer marks, this shows you the number of players in the squad. Thirty-three players have got in their squad. Oof. I would say I think four of those have been promoted from the youth team to the first team pros, and there's a few others. I think, I think some of them are like young players who've been put on the bench for trophy games, possibly. But still, it it, it, it makes it look a bit fatter than it probably is in that sense. Um, one area they do look maybe strong, Adam, is at the back. They've got a couple of good experienced players in there, in Ryan Bennett and Michael Morrison, haven't they? Yeah, Michael Morrison is one that I picked out when looking at uh, sort of the players that were going to stand out for their moves at uh, Portsmouth last year. So obviously he played at a, a decent level for a decent club. So it's a good one to, to bring in, sort of try and replace Lloyd-Jones. Although I know he said about trimming the, the fat off the players who've lost on it. I know they weren't. Intending or wanting to lose likes of Sam Smith or Lloyd Jones, but it's, they've lost basically, arguably the two best players, um, and that's always going to be a, a concern when you did as poorly as they did last year. Um, but Morrison, yeah, I think will be a, a solid player and just sort of a experienced EFL 
centre back, so he'll, I don't think he'll throw any surprises. He'll just be what you'd expect from someone of his pedigree. Yeah, and obviously Ryan Bennett's played at Premier League level as well, hasn't he, for Norwich City? So you know you'd expect him to have that extra quality in there too. Um, in terms of uh, recent fixtures for them, obviously nil nil draw against Portsmouth in midweek. Pretty good result. I think they'll be fairly happy with that one. But when you look back beyond that, Mike, in the last six games, they're 21st in the form table. Um, they've they lost 1-0 to Cambridge, which is a bad enough result in its own, you know. And then, and then you look at the others, 2-1 to, to Burton, 4-0 home loss to Barnsley. The only other one that stands out as a probably decent result there is a 0-0 draw at, at Derby County, isn't it? Mm. Well, as well, you know, we touched on it. A one-nil defeat to Cheltenham is uh, incredible, and a one-one-all defeat, uh, a one-all draw against Shrewsbury at home, which uh, Shrewsbury haven't looked great either. And you need to be getting points against the teams around you in the table if you're to stay up. And they haven't really been doing that so far. And hopefully, we're the next one to take some points off them. Yeah, that, that that's got to be the hope, isn't it? Really. Um... Yeah, I mean, look, looking as well back at the um, head-to-head record between the two teams, it's a 35th meeting. Um, fairly balanced, though, so far. 10 wins for us, 10 wins for them, and 14 draws. And we've only lost three of our last 12 fixtures against them, Adam. But we did lose both those fixtures in the COVID season, didn't we? And to be fair, back then with Hulahan and Mullen, they were, they were a pretty difficult task to face, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, that's my last memory of them. Obviously, the juggernaut they had going forwards. It was no surprise that they went up and went up automatically. Um, and keeping hold of those players was going to be hard. Although I didn't think any of us thought that Paul Mullin would be down in the national league after the season he had. But that's how things things have played out. Um, they made a stand after him, didn't they? After that one they? season at Cambridge, yeah. No, did they? I don't. Think I'm they sure did. they did. Oh, yeah, that they deserves some stick. You'll yeah. have to Google that now and check that, Mike, because you might have got that completely wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you, you have a look at that while we're talking, anyway. But yeah, um, yeah, that that that, that, that opening day game just stands out, doesn't it? It's like, oh wow, this is going to be a tough season. Although we, yeah, we did quite well in the end, to be fair. But it showed how good they were, I guess, in that sense. Uh, referee for this one, uh, Mr. Yeah. Sam Perk. Oh God, just just heads up. Yeah, they ne- they renamed one of their stands the Paul Mullins Stand after that one season. That is shocking. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous, that isn't it? There you go. Uh, Sam Perkins. Sorry, go on. Go on, Adam. I was going to say, I'm trying to think of a player who, who that would be. I was going to say Christian Jabbo, Dennis. but he had a few years. Or, yeah, the Christian Dennis stand. Imagine yeah. if the Andrew Jenkins stand named Christian, <laughs> Christian well, Dennis. Well, I think as well, it's because he broke the record of most goals in a season oh, as well. That was part of it. M- maybe, maybe. And he broke the record against us. Threads. That's an absolute thread to hang by. Yeah. Um, Referee for this one, Sam Perkis from London. Uh, it's his fifth season as an EFL referee, having started out in 2019. He's the referee who got knocked out in that game, I think it was Swindon against Grimsby last season, where the player booted the ball clean and hit him in the face and knocked him clean out. Um, he's taken charge of 11 games so far this season. And as Dan pointed out to us in another chat, he's very card happy. He's handed out 59 yellows and six red cards already this season. So, yeah. That, that, that we might get get those uh, bookings of anyway <laughs> without even trying for this one and possibly. some bonus ones as well possibly yeah um, last season he handed out 110 yellows and 10 red cards in 29 games um, the last United game he took charge of though Mike was the 2-1 win at Swindon Town that we went to last season where Ryan Edmondson mm. got the uh, 
the late um, winner. I can't remember him being that bad in that game. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I think I remember him being pretty bad. Yeah, well, if you can yeah. remember, then he must I, be. I, well, I only seem to remember good refs, so I don't remember much about him, so he probably wasn't any yeah. good. Probably, probably right on that one. Uh, one thing we actually didn't mention that I should say, come back to it is uh, J.K. Gordon, obviously, Adam. He's gone on loan there. I think a lot of fans wanted him back and we were a bit disappointed we got planned instead of him. Taking his time to settle there, though. He seemed to want to move there because he didn't really want to move north, did he? I think that was the suggestion, wasn't it? He'd rather stay south this time round. Yeah. But he, he's finding his just finding his feet with them, isn't he? I think it's fair to say. Yeah, well, I've, you could probably say the same about all their strikers. They're not exactly mm. little... Uh, lit the world up um, so far this season but yeah getting JK back would have been nice to your point um, but I think any any transfer that involves a, a London club to come into or a London player coming to Carlisle is going to be hard especially long term there's only a few who sort of settle in and really ingratiate themselves and he was loved by all the fans but it's obviously he's ended up in, in Cambridge but I did think it would be interesting to see how he'd adapt to the uh, to League One. Um, obviously, with his sort of long absence from the the squad, we actually didn't mm. see too much of him in League Two. And when he was there, he was good. But um, I think it was always going to be a challenge for him coming into a squad that just lost the likes of Sam Smith, and you know, be sort of expected to be one of the the main goal scorers. But I think, if my memory serves me right, he's not really been a main starter. He's more been used as sort of an off the bench yeah, option. Yeah, he's been used as a sub a few times, hasn't he? I think, and he's just like I said, he's just finding his feet. I think is probably the best way to describe it. For, so for me, an issue I had with him is that he wasn't as versatile as you maybe want a modern forward to be. He mm. was very good in a front two, but when he played sort of out wide in a four three three, he'd go missing a little bit. Um, and in the modern game, you kind of need to be quite versatile. Yeah, and he, he drifted out wide quite a lot when he played in that front two as well, so it didn't really make sense that he struggled yeah. out wide, really, but but there you go. Um, right, we'll, um, we'll we'll do the play for both now. Uh, Dan's not been able to do one for us this week, so I'm picking it. Uh, there's a fair few I could have chosen it from. Um, I was tempted to go for Scott Patterson, who younger fans probably won't remember. He was a player in the 98-99 season who scored a stunning free kick against Brighton at Gillingham um, in a, in a when Brighton were playing at the Priestfield back in the, back in those days, that seems a long time ago for Brighton now, doesn't it? When you think where they are mm. playing Ajax as we're recording tonight, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but there you go. Um, no, I've gone for someone who uh, only had one season at United, but was hugely popular in the season he, he did spend with us, uh, and that man is, I think, the only Brazilian to have played for us, possibly. Magno, Magno Vieira. Yeah. Yes, Magno Vieira is uh, the one I've picked. So yeah, Magno Vieira, born in Brasilia in Brazil. Um, bizarrely, though, started his career at Wigan Athletic. <laughs> there's no, there's no things about him playing for any youth teams in in Brazil on his Wikipedia page. There's not a single mention of it. <laughs> so he seems to have just come over to to play Wigan. There was some story about it already a while back. I can't, I can't try to find it before we recorded it, but I couldn't find it unfortunately. Um, so yeah, he started out with Wigan Athletic. He had a loan spell with Northampton in the league um, in the 2003-04 season, where he played ten games and scored two goals. But then at the start of the 2004-05 season, he signed for United on a season-long loan deal from Latics. And he he did pretty well, I think it's fair to say, in that season, Mike. I mean, were you, you going quite regularly back then as well? Yeah, um, I seem to remember, didn't he have some kind of muscle condition that meant he got cramp quite easily? That kind of held him back a little bit? Yeah, I think he was he, he was often, quite often got subbed in games, didn't he, really? And 
Yeah, I'm looking back at his record from that season. So he started, his debut was at Forest Green away, at Forest Green's old ground before they moved to the new lawn. And he scored in a 3-0 win, having, I think, came on as a sub in that game. I think it's, yes, he came on as a, a substitute in the second half and scored um, towards the end of the game, well, 15 minutes to go. Um, he then played as a sub again, I think, in the next game. In fact, no, sorry, he started the next game against Farnborough. A game that we won 7-0, which I still think is our second biggest ever win, isn't it, I think? 8-0 is mm-hmm. the, the record, and it still annoys me to this day we didn't get a, a, an eighth goal <laughs> in that game, really. I'm sure there's probably fans out there who would hate the idea of us, our record score being a, a conference game, but uh, but there you go. I remember that game because their manager was Dean Austin, who used to play for Spurs years ago, and I think he talked about how they were going to come and try and play us off the park and play great football and everything, and <laughs> looked a bit of a tit at half-time when they were 5-0 down against us, um, but there you go. Um, yeah, he, he then obviously, his next goal didn't come till we played Aldershot in September, where he scored a hat-trick and a 5-0 win down there. Yeah, um, and I, rem- I remember that game because... Obviously, you score a hat trick, you get to keep the match ball. And Aldershot yeah. would have been funny because it, it was their ball, and they didn't yeah. want they didn't want him to take the ball. Such and so, like our that. club, we were like, "Well, we'll we'll buy you a new ball." Like, but he, you know, he just wants that. And it was a whole it was a whole thing. Yeah. So he scored. A, he's managed to score uh, in total. I'm just checking it uh, over the season. He scored f- <coughs> 13 goals. Uh, in round about 40 or so appearances, I think, in league and cup games. And he was a bit of a sporadic scorer. He had long spells where he didn't score too many, but he sort of played on the wing and he was a, he was a really popular figure, actually. You know, he's a really hard worker. I think probably then, Mike, his most famous goal, um, and Adam, you'll probably be even too young to remember these goals, but his most famous goal was probably the goal against Halifax, wasn't it? Yes, uh, live on Sky, which uh, was set up by Glenn Murray. Yes, uh, by someone near the... Caused though by someone that you sort of know of, of Ian Dunbavin, the keeper for yes. Halifax. Yes. A Formby, Formby resident, is it fair to say? Well, I don't know if he lives in Formby. He just kind of hangs off Stephen Gerrard's coattails <laughs> in Formby. So, yeah. yeah. Spent his life doing that. So, yeah, basically, anyone who's not seen it, you can go and see it on YouTube if you're a younger fan. Basically, Dunbavin comes and claims a ball near the edge of the box and Murray sort of runs into him. And he, he reacts and he, he he kicks out the back of Murray's leg. And Murray, like, what you do in terms of ref? And the ref signals with his arm saying, play on, come on. And Dunbavin <laughs> thought that meant come to me because I want to speak to you. Had the ball in his hand. The ref's like, no, no, stop. Blows for the free kick. Dunbavin stupidly drops the ball right in front of him. Murray places the ball on the ground, plays it into the area. He's threw one goal and put it into the empty net. And they went mad, didn't they? It was a 1-0 <laughs> yeah. win that as well, which made it even funnier. Yeah. yeah, like I said, live on Sky, very, very funny moment that was. It's on all the sporting bloopers things, isn't it, I think? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he had that one season with us, and there's kind of hope that we could get him back permanently, wasn't there? But it didn't work out in the end. He went back mm. to Wigan, didn't actually even play for Wigan that following season. Not, not Nothing happened. He ended up leaving Wigan and going to Barnet. Uh, he spent a lot of time actually sort of down south at this point. Uh, mm. He played uh, in a season at Barnet where he played 21 and scored three. Season at Crawley where he played uh, 22 games and scored five goals. At that time, he had a loan spell at Cambridge. I think were a non-league side by then. Played 10 games and scored twice. And yeah, then he sort of just bobbed about. Uh, came back into the league with Wickham briefly. Um, then he had his spells at Ebbsfleet. Fleetwood, Ta- Fleetwood Town's probably the best spell he had. 64 games and 31 goals for them. I think he was part of their team that got promoted to the league round about the time Jamie Vardy would have been there actually I imagine he would have been his strike partner mm. round about that time um, 
he he moved to um in fact yeah he was the season they won the conference uh, title he, he was playing there um forest green he had a spell there 49 goals five games and he sort of did went to nuneaton town 49 goals spell. in five games sorry That's 40, impressive. 49 games five goals sorry <laughs> the wrong word uh nuneaton he had a two game loan spell there and then he made the move to new zealand um and i'm going to get these pronunciations wrong because i think they're like in maori some of them but uh why are, oh my god this is a terrible one Wairarapara, United. I probably got that wrong. I do apologise for that. Team Wellington, uh, Kapiti Coast United, North Wellington, and then there was another team. And I'm not even going to try and pronounce that one. It's something like no, no. I'm not even going to try it. <laughs> he's, uh, he's had a, he's had a couple of uh, managerial spells at uh, Kapiti Coast United in North Wellington, and yeah, he seems to be doing a lot of coaching over New Zealand. I think he's settled down with Alas over there as well now, so he seems really happy and. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's an interview John Coleman did with him somewhere in the News and Star side that's well worth digging out if you want to have a read of that because, um, yeah, it was really good. He talked very affectionately about his time with United because he was a young lad then. He obviously couldn't probably speak that much, <laughs> as much English as he, you know, he probably does now. So, yeah, fantastic stuff. There you go. Magno Vieira is the play for both for this week. Um, just a few of the others to read them out. Uh, David and Moo, get to mention every now and then here. Ian Atkins managed both clubs. He also played for Cambridge as a player manager. Des Byrne had a spell playing for um, Cambridge. Probably less said about his time at Carlisle, the better. Uh, Tom Cowan. Mark Doby's an interesting one. He, he's, he's a player who just did the non-league circuit around Cumbria. I think he played for like Gretna, for Carlisle, for Carlisle City, for Workington, for Barrow, for Darlington as well. He, and Queen of the South actually had a spell there too, so he, he's an interesting player. Steve Finney, uh, God rest his soul. Uh, Josh Gillies, Jimmy Glass, Dean Holdsworth, Thomas Sholey. Jabbo Abiri, I would have picked him, but we, we always go with Jabbo, don't we? Um, Jack Iredale, uh, Reggie Lamb, Danny Naisbit, uh, Scott Patterson, we mentioned before, Richard Prokash, Dave Rushbury, Magno Vieri, and of course, the legend himself, Dean Walling, also had a, a short spell with Cambridge. Right, on to United head of this game, guys. Um, so, for this one, Adam, do you stick with 4-2-3-1 or do you go back to the 4-3-3? No, I'd stick with it, um, especially with the team we were playing against if we were coming up against say that Barnsley fixture was at the weekend and McCalmont was fit because I think it, it will depend on that um, on his fitness but it sounds like he'll be available which even if he doesn't start I think is a good thing just because we'll have more options on the bench yeah. Um, but yeah I'd stick with with it um, because Butterworth I don't think from that performance deserved to be dropped I know it's a little bit harsh on McCalmont but I think he just adds a bit more of an attacking edge and I think Moxon and Guy can do that defensive work. They don't necessarily need another person there, especially against a team like Cambridge, who aren't necessarily banging in the goals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mike, in terms of this one, would you would you make any changes or would you stick with Butterworth in there for this? Yeah, I'd stick with it. And I think as far as playing Saturday, Tuesday goes, I would imagine, touch wood, that the players won't be that knackered because we spent a lot of the game kind of just patiently yeah. passing it side to side rather than, you know, running about too much. Yeah, we very much controlled the ball, didn't we, um, in this one? Mm. I think I'll differ slightly from you two. I think I, if McCalman's fit, I'd be... I said on the bit of Carlisle Social that I would stick with the team, but actually thinking more about it, smaller, tighter pitch away from home, I would be tempted to put McCallum back in if he's fit and just try and make it a bit more of a contest and then have that option to bring on Butterworth in your back pocket if you really need to in the second half. But either way, I think I'm, I'll be confident enough with either side playing, I think it's fair to say. Um, right, predictions time. Um, no points scored by any of us for the Portsmouth game. Um, 
We didn't do any for the uh, Burton game, obviously, because we didn't do a preview for that one. And I was going to predict 2-1 as well. Of with course you were. Uh, of course you were. That little chestnut. <laughs> yes. Um, let, let's have them for this one. Mike, you can go first. Uh, I'll go for a 2-0 win, and I'll go for a goal from Maguire and a goal from Gibson. Ooh, okay. Now, Dan isn't able to send them in this. He hasn't been able to get it recorded, but he has sent me a WhatsApp with his ones in. So Dan has gone for 2-0 as well. With goals from Maguire and Lavelle this time. So it's not exactly the same as you as you two did the other week, didn't you? Um, Adam, what are you going to go for this one? I'm going to go 3-1, Carlisle. Uh, with, I think Sam Lavelle has to get a goal. I don't know how he put that one over the bar, considering how <laughs> well he connected with it. I think if the roof of the Warwick wasn't there, that would have got sent towards <laughs> Tesco. Um, but yeah, I think 3-1, goal for Lavelle. Uh, and I'm actually going to go with a Maguire brace. Okay, mm. fair enough. Uh, I'm when I did the one with the Cambridge pod, I predicted a two-one win, so I'm going to stick with that two-one with goals from Lavelle. I think Lavelle's due one. I think it's it's, it's coming soon enough. And uh, do I go Gibson as well? He's in form now. I'm going to go with Garner. I think Joe Garner's going to get another goal. So there you go, two-one. Right. The X-Files section to round things up. Um, a few bits to cover this week. A name we've not mentioned for a while, Zach Clough. I think that's probably because the Australian season's been in its break, I'd guess. But uh, yeah, Zach Clough, he scored a penalty for Adelaide United in their 3-0 win over Central Coast Mariners. Sam Cosgrove, been a naughty boy, he got sent off for Barnsley in their 1-1 draw at Leighton Orient. Joel Senior got his first goal for uh, Morecambe in a, a dramatic injury time winner in their 3-2 victory over Sutton United. Sutton having a really tough time of it, aren't they? You know, they've, they've mm. got, what, two wins, I think, they've got now, I think, and that's it. And they lost yeah, late at yeah. Wrexham as well the other day. Um, Olofelo Olomola, he scored two goals, his first two goals for Bromley since moving to them in the summer in their 3-1 win over Oxford City. Hallam Hope was on the score sheet for Oldham in their 4-3 win at Rochdale. Big crowd for this one, wasn't it? It looked like the Oldham fans pretty much filled that stand along the side, didn't you? You'd expect them to. It was only down the road, so not maybe that's so much of a surprise. Uh, and Gavin Riley uh, at the weekend, he scored for Queen of South in their 1-0 win at Annan Athletic. Into midweek, Brad Potts scored for Preston in their 2-2 draw with Southampton. Did you see the late equaliser of Southampton in this game? No. Um, yeah. Bazunu, goalkeeper. Well... It's an own goal, isn't it? It's Ched yeah. Evans' own goal. So basically, the keeper got a touch in it, but he wasn't going in and it came off Evans and went into the back of the net. So very dramatic equaliser for Southampton there. Alex Gilead scored, uh, but it was only a consolation for Bradford in their 4-1 loss at MK Dons. What position are they in now, Mike? Are they, is it 17th? 17th, I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've ruined them, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> They've just not recovered from that. That playoff defeat has just completely crushed them. It's just, I I thought they'd be right up there. I generally thought that yeah, that they'll you know they'll it'll be a setback, but they'll be up there this season. And no, they're nowhere near it. That three year contract for uh, Andy Cook's looking brilliant, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, just, I think he's what scored three goals this season. Yeah, I always felt like that was a bit of a risky one. They should have just let someone in pay him a stupid amount of money and, and go. Uh, George Glendon, he scored for Chester in their 2-0 win at Southport. I think we call this one the uh, the save-away derby, don't we, Mike? Cause, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the Mersey Rail derby. Um, it takes a long time to get from one it, to the other by trails. Yeah, that's horrible. You've got, you've got to change it more fields as well, haven't you? I think you could probably do the train journey from Liverpool to Carlisle in a similar-ish time as you could from 
Well, it's, I'll, I've, I'm very well experienced with that. And it usually takes about sort of 2.15, 2.20 to get yeah. from Carlisle to, to Liverpool. And that's with a yeah. change. Yeah. So that wouldn't surprise me if it's the same for it's Chester to Southport. Far. It's about 45 bits for each, isn't it? I think, round about for the two journeys. So with a little bit of a break in between, you wouldn't be far off, I think. Um, on to the other bits, just to wrap things up. A uh, bit of sad news. Dan Wordsworth has retired at Workington after 12 years and over 300 appearances for the club. I know he never made a first-team appearance for United, but he's a Carlisle lad and he's done really well. I think he had a brief spell at Kendall, I think, didn't he? And a little bit of time out in Australia, but 12 years and that many games and a few promotions in there as well. Fantastic achievement. And I think he was saying, wasn't he, that basically his body said, no, I can't keep doing this. He's in pain after games. And, you know, when, when you're only doing a part-time, Adam, you, you'll work with you know non-league players in the ring. Uh, they get to a point where they're like, you know what, I enjoy this, but it's not worth it anymore, is it? Yeah, yeah, especially with the the toll of, you know, it's not even like you're, that's your sole focus. You're going, yeah. you know, you've got to go to work the next day and you've got all these aches and pains, especially for the lads who, you know, yeah. have major injuries. It's it's even worse, so I can yeah. totally understand that. Yeah. Adam Murray, uh, he hasn't been out of work for long since being sacked by AFC Fylde. He's turned up at Cheltenham Town to be one of Daryl Clark's uh, new assistant managers at the club. Uh, Mason Hardy, former youth team player, he's signed for North Allerton Town from Ashington on a dual registration. Um, quite a common thing in non-league football, that, isn't it? Basically, where players are available for two different clubs are probably at different levels, but uh, interesting one, that one. And uh, finally, a couple more. Um, Tristan Abrahams, you got an appearance in gold and you kept a clean sheet for Welling United because they were already 5-1 down when he went in goals and it finished 5-1 so uh, well done for him uh, Talkie United I think he was quite pleased with himself wasn't he put it as his new profile picture on Twitter yeah, and, uh, not the best thing to do after a 5-1 defeat like. pro- probably not no but there you go and uh, finally one that I didn't actually write down there but Dan reminded me of last week uh, Danny Butterfield was part of the management team that left at Lincoln City last week so uh, a few changes to managers at our level but uh, I don't think Summer is going to be going anywhere anytime soon which could no. only be a good thing. Um, that's it then, guys. A bit, a bit of a long one, but we covered fair, a fair bit in there, I think it's fair to say. Uh, thank you very much for both of you joining me. Uh, just a thanks once again to the our sponsors, the London Branch, um, for their support this season. Always appreciate We'll be doing a review of the Cambridge game, obviously, next week, and uh, a, a preview of the uh, later Orient FA Cup game as well. Um, before we wrap things up, Adam, I've been told to remind you of this, because a few people pointed out to me, you, you didn't say up the blues at the end, and people were like, was, oh. did, you, did you did you edit that out? I was like, no, I I, I didn't realise till afterwards. So that's a, you, that's a cardinal sin. It's a cardinal sin because we've had people say to us that they genuinely say up the blues as we say it on the podcast. When they're just somebody an office job, yeah. just sat at the desk, up the blues. Well, funny enough, me me and Mike when we were going up to the Lane Orient game, we were in Wigan, and I go to meet because I get on Wigan Northwestern, and Mike gets off at Wigan Wallgate and walks over, and there's a little McCall's next door, so we go in and get a drink for the journey up. As we were stood there outside, a guy comes up to us and goes, you never believe this. I'm listening to you right now on the podcast. <laughs> it's a, it's a, like called Slice on Twitter, I think, isn't it, Mike? And, he, mm. and he, he's messaged us a few times before and he's just like, this is the weirdest thing. I, I was hearing your voice in my headphones and I look up and there you are. I'm looking right at you because he wasn't going to the game today. So fantastic stuff. But yeah, just, just goes to uh, the amount of people who come up to me in games and say, oh, you know, d- d- really enjoy the pod. And I'm like, thank you very much. I have no idea you are. Say, if you're someone on Twitter or Facebook, say who you are so I can say a thank you on the pod and that kind of thing. So, so there you go. But anyway, that's enough. We've rambled on for quite a while. It's, a, it's another long one for you guys, but I know you guys who do dog walks, stuff like that, really enjoy them. So there you go. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. And most importantly of all, up the blues. Up the blues. Up the blues. Up the blues.